You're listening to a podcast from Meaning of Life TV. Hi, welcome to Culturally Determined. I'm your host, Aria Cohen-Wade, and my guest today is Rachel Verona-Cote. Uh, Rachel, could you introduce yourself? Hi, uh, I'm, uh, I'm Rachel. Uh, nice, to, nice to be here. Thanks for having me. Well, thanks for coming on. Um, so you wrote a piece uh, that ran in Long Reads uh, recently, and uh, the title is The Fraught Culture of Online Mourning. And I really like this piece and thought it was uh, worth discussing and would encourage other people to read it because I think it's kind of like captures the way that like life is changing um, because of uh, technology and the internet. So we'll, we'll, we'll include a link uh, below and kind of, so I'll just read the very beginning of the piece, um, which t- tells you, tells the reader kind of what it's about and yeah. is very, you know, very well stated. Um, so you write, uh, my mother died shortly after 4 a.m. in the pitch black of a November morning. By roughly 8.30 a.m. that day, the 29th, I had alerted my Twitter and Instagram followers as well as my Facebook friends. Um, so, yeah, so, uh, so, <laughs> so, you know, I'm <laughs> sorry for your loss and thank you for, uh, writing about loss and grief in a way that, um, you know, a lot of people don't want to talk about it or, uh, express themselves about it. And you've been, um, since I follow you on Twitter, you've been writing about this. I think I followed you when your mother was ill and then, um, when she died, you wrote about it online as well. Um, yeah. So can you talk about kind of why the, why this is the piece you wanted to write right now? Uh, sure. Uh, you know, I, I guess it's, it's weird, uh, thinking to think about it as like, I want to write about my dead mom, <laughs> but, um, I guess, um, but I obviously have, uh, because I've, this isn't the first piece that I, that I've written about her. And in some ways I feel like, uh, the writing that I've done kind of all sort of built up to this, to this piece in a way, it was sort of a way to think about, uh, the, um, what had become, I had realized a sort of ritual for me. Um, I don't know. Uh, I don't know if you watch Fleabag. Or... I do. I, yeah. Great show. I just, you know, finished uh, it a couple days ago. Yeah. <laughs> we're all just, we're all just sort of reeling from that. <laughs> uh, speaking of, uh, dead mothers and dealing with having a, right. a dead mother and well, in Fleabag's case, a, a dead best friend too. Um, uh, Fleabag says something really, um, I don't think this is uh, spoilery. Um, she says something that I think is just really uh, beautiful and, and uh, heartbreaking. Uh, and also just, I think, gets at uh, a lot of this. Uh, after her mother's funeral, she says in the second season, uh, and I'm paraphrasing, I, I don't know what to do with all the love that I have for her. Um, I don't know where to put it. Uh, and I think that, so, so I think me writing this piece, it's, it's a, it's a couple of things on, on, uh, the writing that I've done, I think in some ways, yeah, I think it has been, it's honestly been a way for me, uh, to, uh, put my love and my grief places, figure out where to put to put it, uh, 
because all of this love that I had, I have for this person that I'll always have for this person, uh, that I was able to once direct at her, at her, you know, corporeal, uh, being, I, um, you know, that's, that's changed. It's irrevocably changed. And now I have to figure out other way, you know, other ways to love her and, uh, and ways to live in the world without her. And I, I tend to think through writing. Uh, so, uh, I think it probably, if, in retrospect, it probably makes sense that writing about her was going to be part of my grief process mm-hmm. that, um, that I would, uh, that I would just, you know, be processing, uh, what it has meant to live for now almost exactly a year and a half in, in the world without her. Um, and, and so, and so first that, that took the form of writing a lot of pieces that were very, you know, strictly about, uh, or not, if not strictly about mourning her, uh, were, were very centered on that specifically, you know, I wrote, I wrote for Pitchfork about, uh, you know, the music that we listened to together. I, you know, wrote, I wrote a piece, uh, when she was dying about how I was sort of, you know, kind of anticipating that. Uh, but then, you know, after, you know, after all this time passes and, and I, I look at my Twitter feed and think, uh, not without some horror of just all, all of these tweets and all of these Instagram posts where I have just, um, I, I, I've really, uh, talked a lot about just how much I miss her and, uh, and chronicled, uh, various anniversaries and what certain holidays have, have felt like and how shitty Mother's Day mm-hmm. is when all of a sudden you're unmothered. Um, and, uh, you know, and I, I, w- I had the privilege of, of having a wonderful mother for 32 years. I know there are a lot of people out there who, uh, have, you know, dealt with these things and have mothers that they've had to break contact with and that, you know, have had all sorts of really terrifying, terrible and traumatizing scenarios. And so I'm coming to that, this, these circumstances late. Uh, and in a way it's a privilege, you know, to, to love somebody so much that I'm grieving them so much. But, um, but, but then I started thinking about, well, um, Gosh, you know, th- this is, uh, it's kind of a funny thing to be, um, to, to have, to sort of just be, uh, pontificating to, to all of these, to all of these people, um, about, about this loss and, and, uh, and to just sort of be building this archive, uh, of, uh, of mourning. And in a lot of ways, it, it has been something that's been really lovely, um, because, uh, you know, I think, you know, Twitter's at its best, uh, social media is at its best when, when people, uh, sort of follow their best impulses and support one another. And, uh, <laughs> it happens sometimes. <laughs> yeah, that's what Twitter's good. <laughs> um, but, um, 
But but then it, you know you also start uh, or at least I start second guessing myself. Like okay, is when is this going to become annoying? Um, is has it already become annoying? Are are you know? Um, Twitter, whether I want this to be the case or not, is such an inextricable part of my professional life. Uh, so what does it mean that I'm, you know, that I'm also, you know, mourning my mother there? Uh-huh. You know, it's something kind of like bonkers about that. Uh, I, I don't want my, you know, we talk about personal brands and it, you know, and it's a really disgusting term, but they, they exist. And it's like, I don't want my part of my brand to be like mourning her, her dead mom, you know, like dead mom writer. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) You know? So, so anyway, I, that's a very long winded way of sort of saying, of, uh, sort of saying where, you know, a lot of what was sort of, uh, at, in my head as I was, uh, working through this piece. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So like I said, I, I encourage everyone to read it. Um, and it does, you know, as we, you know, it seems like we're going to continue living our lives online more and more. There's been some, you know, there's been some backlash to social media and people deleting their Facebook accounts and stuff like that. But, um, and, uh, you know, uh, sadly people are going to keep on dying and, yeah. So the, you know, like this is the kind of the future is it's going to be much more this than the way, uh, it used to be. And I guess it, I might as well bring in my, uh, personal yeah. story here. Um, which is, I, I, know, I don't, I don't, I don't like, I don't talk about this that much. Um, so it's, it's like a kind of, kind of a contrast to you. Um, so I don't think I've said it on the show before. Um, and of course there's no like right way to express grief. I think most people would understand that. Um, my father died when I was, um, 17 in the year 2000. So that was, um, not pre-internet, but pre-social media. And, sure. um, you know, I was, I was kind of a, like, I, like when I was in middle school, I, we got, we got AOL and I spent like a lot of time on AOL, uh, for that period at least. And so like I had online friends, but, and I had like, you know, instant messenger, uh, AOL instant messenger, you know, friends with people in my high school. Um, yeah. but there wasn't, I don't think I, and even though I had like, there was like one guy who, like I was, I was into X Men comics, and there was one guy who was also into X Men comics, who was also a teenager, who I like met at a comic book store one time. Who I learned, you know, in 1997 or so, which was kind of weird. Um, looking back on it, that my parents let me do that. But anyway, um, you know, I don't, I don't even remember if I like told anyone in that who I like knew from that world um, that my father had died because like I didn't want to think about it. I didn't want people to look at me as being like the kid whose father has died. Uh-huh. Um, and so I was, so yeah, so there wasn't like, yeah, the, the kind of the infrastructure was, was different back then. And, um, you know, there wasn't, all I had was my LL screen name, which wasn't my real name. And there wasn't that connection between identity, personal brand, <laughs> whatever. And, and back then 17 year olds didn't have personal brands, although I guess a lot of them have personal brands now. Um, and I was, I was thinking, uh, in preparing for this about how, um, you know, a lot of people, um, like, you know, sent cards and I still have like the box of all the cards in my yeah. Uh, yeah. basement, you know, uh, 19 years later. And, um, you know, and, and like, are there, you know, and that was like, that that's like kind of the gesture. At least that was the gesture in the year 2000. That was like, you know, maybe you would come to the funeral, but like, if you couldn't come to the funeral, then you would send a card and like, 
say something nice. And then like, you know, that's what we had come up with as the standard gesture. Um, so as is like the standard gesture now, like doing like a crying face emoji on the Facebook post, like, uh, did you still get a bunch of cards? Um, you know, how are, are, and how does that, how does it make you feel when it's just like, if, if someone you kind of know is just like sad face or heart on the Twitter post, does, yeah. is that, is that, is that heading backwards from the, you know, but just buying card and writing saying sorry for your loss or something? Um, yeah. So I don't know. That was a lot, but how, how would you react to that? No, no, I get, I get what you're saying. Um, I mean, uh, so I, I mean, I, I was very fortunate. I actually, uh, you know, Facebook is, I hate Facebook. I'm, I am mostly there because I put shit that I'm promoting there, but I did, you know, because that was really the only place that my mom existed on social media. Um, I did, you know, I did obviously post, uh, about, uh, about losing her, uh, there, I, the way I see it, I think any form, I think saying something anywhere is now, if somebody just responded to a post of, about, you know, after my mother dying of ovarian cancer after three and a half years was, oh, sad face emoji. I might be like, you know, like, especially if I knew them, I'd be like, oh, okay, cool. Mm -hmm. Um, thanks. Um, that, that just seems like super perfunctory and superficial, but I, I I don't really, I don't think that that was, I think it was very fortunate that that was not my experience. You know, um, you know, people, people left messages. I, I did, you know, I received cards, um, generally from, from people that I know, uh, that I know better, but, but not always. Um, I, I received a lot of messages all over the place, emails, um, you know, but even just commenting, you know, commenting on an Instagram post, commenting on Twitter. Yeah. I think for me, it, it, it's, it's less, for me about um, less for me about, about the, the mode or the form. I, I, my feeling is that it's, it's just important to, it's important to say something and to mean it. And, you know, I, I think we're, my sense is that we are so still so ill-equipped, at least in our, in, American culture, uh, to, to talk about death, uh, to, to meet, uh, death in, you know, in, in any sort of way, uh, to just sort of grapple with it as, you know, basically the, uh, the natural conclusion of, <laughs> of, of life. Um, I, I think that it's just so important to emphasize. I, I think, I think that a lot of people understandably just don't know what to do. They don't know what to say. They're, uh, they're very aware, um, that saying, or I think that a lot of times, and, and I, and I felt this way too, even after losing my mother, having friends, that, uh, have lost parents or, or siblings or people, 
you know, pets, you know, any uh, entity in their life that's very, very dear to them. I, I think I, you know, I think we sort of come up against uh, this, uh, this, this sort of question where we wonder, well, what, what does me saying something, what can that do in the face of the immensity of a loss that is just so hard to fathom? And if you haven't gone through a loss, then of course, it's just, it's, it's unthinkable and, and, uh, and it's, and it's horrible. And, and, and the thing is, is that, yeah, you know, no, you can't, no one can fix it, you know, no, there's, but I think if, I think the important thing is, is that as long as that is that people realize that, you know, you, you don't need to fix anything. You, you you can't fix anything and no one expects you to. Mm-hmm. And, 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 and that's okay. The thing that really, the thing that matters is that you just, that you show up uh, for real. And, and, and that could be, and that can be in any, any way, you know, um, if, if you can come to the funeral and memorial service, awesome. Uh, because God, that's a weird experience. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. and, uh, if, uh, and if you have the emotional bandwidth to send a thoughtful card or a note or an email, that's awesome too. But, but really, you know, but I think I, and I don't think I'm just speaking for myself. I mean, I, I feel like any, any message that I received, it wasn't like, it's not like I think back and, you know, sure, I do, you know, I remember I kept, I kept all of the cards that people sent me. Um, but it's not as if I think about my friends and I think, oh, well, this person sent me a card and this person comment just, you know, they commented on Instagram as if, mm-hmm. you know, as if I'm, weighing them against each other yeah and just just, sorry to interrupt but just um you know the box of the box of cards as far as i know i've never actually looked through them um and it's been almost 20 years and i've thought there's been times where i've been like i should look through these and i mean they were mostly mostly sent by adults and probably people i didn't who were friends of my parents so i like don't remember don't really know like 17 year old boys are not not sending condolence cards to (laughs) to each other um but it's yeah it is like just like there there is this collection of things and um you know it was in my childhood closet for all the time until my mom sold the house and then i like i took it with me um so it, it is almost like just thinking about it, like, it is almost like a moment when, like, language fails, and yeah. there, there can be some comfort in particular phrases, but a lot of it is, like, these uh, rote phrases, like, I'm sorry for your loss, or my right. condolences, and, um, and yeah, it, it's just, like, it's more about the, like, symbol or the gesture of showing up or giving a hug or something, and, you know, the words can't really do anything, and, and then that's interesting just to think about in terms of, like, you know, a, uh, a like or a, uh, sad face heart or a heart yeah. emoji on Facebook, where those are also like non, you know, symbols that are not language. And, you know, uh, it's like that, that's obviously like, like tapping the key is less than, yeah. you know, a card or attending a, a memorial event or something. Um, but it is kind of like, you know, what can you say? Um, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and I mean, and I, I think, you know, you, I mean, I was, you know, I, I still feel like I was robbed of my mother too soon, but 
I lost her as an adult. I mean, at losing, I think the experience of losing a parent when you're still a, when you're a child, I mean, that, that's a totally different mm-hmm. thing. I, you know, I, I think I, my youngest sister is in her mid twenties and, uh, you know, I think between the lot of us, most of us don't have many friends even now who have, who have lost a parent. Um, when, when you're a child, I have to believe that that's, I don't even, I don't even know if I knew anybody. I think there was somebody I knew of in my grade Mm -hmm. in middle school who had lost a parent. And, and yeah, I mean, and, and so it's, you know, so that, I mean, that experience, I, you know, I have to believe is just even, even more isolating. And I think, and I think that's, that's a lot of it that no matter, um, that it's just that it, that it's a really isolating feeling, even if you're surrounded by people, even if, you know, in my case, I'm, uh, fortunate to have a super supportive husband and a, um, a very, very attentive cat <laughs> um, you know, and wonderful friends. And, you know, you, it, it, it's still this alienating thing because I think everybody's grief is specific to them and you still have to, you're still left with your thoughts. And so, yeah, I think, um, I think that again, it, it, you know, it doesn't, I, I found myself not, not really, I, I don't really give a shit, you know, if, uh, you know, if it's text or card or, you know, carrier pigeon or, or <laughs> mm-hmm. I, I think for me, it just, it, it just meant something that to, to get a, uh, an earnest message. Um, even if it was like a line, uh, and, and I think, and I think for me now, um, something that I really learned because I, from this, because I, um, prior to losing my mom, I am sure that there were situations where I learned that somebody lost somebody dear to them and I didn't know, and I wasn't sure what to do. And so I probably didn't do anything. Now I know that if I'm ever in doubt, I'm just going to send the note. I'm mm-hmm. just going to, just going to write the note, write the email, whatever. Um, because, because it matters. And, and, and I, you know, other friends of mine who have lost parents that, you know, they, I think they've, they've said similar things. Um, because it, it you know, it, cause it does, it does matter. And I, and, you know, and I think we all just kind of have to slog through this, the uneasiness of dealing with death together because we're all just kind of figuring it out because we just, we just don't. Uh, and I know that there are people who are working on, it and I think it's great. It's great that there are people who are writing about this and, and trying to help uh, us all sort of, understand death as as a part of it all but you know we're still we're still all kind of flailing yeah when it comes to that 
Yeah, and I think, um, you know, it kind of is, it does seem like one of those <laughs> life events where you have to uh, experience it to understand it. And yeah. just reading yeah. about it or talking to someone who went through it isn't going to be the same in it. But then there is no, like, one universal experience. Uh, you know, we've been talking about the differences uh, between us. And, you know, um, and yet it kind of, like, you know, for every person, either their parents are going to predecease them or they're going to predecease their parents. I think those are the only two options. Um, okay. So it is something that, like, kind of everyone mostly everyone has has to deal with um so something i was thinking about and you you talk about this a little bit in the piece is like you know there's there's sort of um a tone especially to twitter maybe less so on facebook uh the twitter tone at least in the part of twitter that you and i inhabit um is very um sarcastic and you know if if you're gonna like beyond sarcastic, like if you're going to say something earnest, sometimes people say like, this isn't a joke or I'm being earnest now. And sometimes even, even that's a joke. Like I've made jokes saying like, yeah, this is not a joke. And then say something that's obviously a joke. And it's just, yeah. it's a weird um, sub subculture that's evolved. Very earnest tweet, you know, and I, you know, and I'm not, I mean, the, just the fact that people feel like they have to do that. But anyway. Yeah. So, I, okay. So then, um, you, once you started talking about your mother being sick and then, um, about her passing away, like you shifted into a different mode than what is, you know, normal among like freelance writers and other media people on Twitter. So how, how did, and like, I, you know, if I, I don't like even, I don't know, I, I, I would have to think about just based on, you know, you have a, you have like a serious Twitter persona. My Twitter persona is just you know, jerking around and telling stupid jokes. And like, if I suffered, you know, a major loss or something, would I even post it on Twitter because it's mostly just jokes or would I keep it to Facebook where it's people, you know, mostly people I know in real life. Uh, So yeah, I I don't, I don't know about that, but can you talk about like that, the tonal weirdness of that? Sure. Yeah. And I, I think it's, it sucks that there's just this extra layer of stress. I mean, it's it's hard enough to lose somebody, but then to have to like, think about how am I going to, how am I going to package this yeah. <laughs> um, or present this? Um, yeah, I, so I think part of why I talked about it so openly is just uh, to, um, I, in some ways it was almost uh, a mode of uh, not, not exactly self-preservation, but a little bit because I'm, I'm in a very, I'm a very emotional person. I, and I am incapable of, of really, uh, masking mm-hmm. what I'm feeling. I, I have no poker face. <laughs> I, I am, I don't even, I don't even think that I can consider honesty, uh, one of my, uh, qualities because I actually don't think I am capable of lying. I think I'm just so bad at it that I've, I've had to just default uh-huh. to be honest. Um, Probably a good thing overall. Yeah. You know, but so for me, I guess I thought, well, God, I'm, I'm going to be a goddamn wreck. So maybe I just need to be, but maybe if, I 
articulate it, maybe if I uh, just, you know, use whatever language is accessible to me and, you know, write it out, maybe I'll be able to present this in a way that uh, sort of paradoxically in talking about how I don't have my shit together right now because my mom died, I'll look like I have my shit together a little bit more. Um, I, it, and, and yeah, I mean the, 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 the shift for me, I think was easier because I, I mean, every once in a while I, I, I do, you know, I, I too appreciate sarcasm. <laughs> um, you know, I, and a lot of my sense of humor does, does veer that way, but I'm, I honestly, I, I find the, that everything being layered, layered under just like, a uh, or, everything having like seven layers of irony over it. I just find that so exhausting. I can't, and I can't do it. I just can't do it. It wouldn't, it wouldn't come easily to me. I know everybody has to be in the world the way that they need to be. And if that, and if that's, and if that's what works, if that's what helps you navigate, um, you know, complex spaces because Twitter is a complex space, then that's what you got to do. For me, I can't do it. Um, I, I would just, I would just sound kind of like kind of ridiculous. Um, I, you know, I, I, I can't, um, I, I've kind I, I kind of learned early on that it's really, I, it's really not possible for me to be any, any other way than the way that I am. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, and, and I also, you know, I, I also just sort of resist, uh, the idea that, um, you know, we need to like not get too excited about things or this or that. It's like, come on, come on, man, this isn't, this isn't high school, like, you know. Although, although social media, like, kind of, one is. really good um, metaphor for social media I heard recently was, it's like a high school cafeteria that's never ending. And so yeah. everyone is always talking about each other and overhearing things and getting in yeah. fights and stuff. So it's, everyone, we're all, like, back in this crazy world. Yeah, and, it, and it's hyper-performative. I mean, everything is performative, obviously, but it's just so hyper-performative. And obviously, I'm performing, too. Like, we, we all are. I, you know, I'm, I'm also trying, like, packaging myself. There are, there are, believe it or not, there, there are times when I'm having a rough time and I don't tweet about it and I make it, and I, and it's really, hard not to not necessarily to not talk about it but it's it's but just to to not let it bleed through um but i make a really concerted effort like if i'm that if i'm i'm either not going to tweet at all or you know i'll tweet about stuff that has nothing to do with it but Mm. um but yeah you know it's um but the tonal the tonal shift is 
you know, but it, but it is still there. I mean, it, mourning somebody that is different from, you know, me just talking about my feelings about an episode of Buffy the Vampire Slayer and like how it makes me cry mm-hmm. <laughs> or, or, you know, or, or whatever, you know, various pieces of cultural, ph- cultural phenomena that, you know, mean something to me, it, you know, it is a different thing. And, and I think, yeah, I think there is a, and I do think, again, like, I think it comes with, a, it's, it has come with me, come for me with a little bit of anxiety. On the one hand, it seems like maybe it's been helpful for people, um, because, uh, seeing somebody talking about loss feels like, and, and, and I think should feel like, uh, feels like permission to talk about their own losses. Mm-hmm. Um, and if that's the case, then, then great. I don't think anybody should bottle anything if, um, you know, we're not, you know, we're under no obligation to, to talk about anything we don't want to talk about. But if you want to talk about it, or if it'd be good for you to talk about it, then, then talk, then absolutely talk about it. You know, so, you know, so if, if that was, if that's helpful, then great. Um, and, and I think when it's, when it occurred to me that it was per, perhaps helpful to people that then I thought, well, you know, then maybe I, this will be something that I, do and maybe I'm a little bit more mindful about and maybe do it a little bit more conscientiously because perhaps this is something that we should be, you know, if, if we're going to, like you said, if we're going to be on social media and we're going to be on social media and, you know, then we have to learn to live in the world and experience everything that the world flings at us while also having these, uh, these virtual personas. And so, um, so, so yeah, might as well talk about it. Might as well figure out, uh, if, you know, and, and, and that's me, you know, I'm, I'm also, um, substantially more uh, open about the way, about my feelings and about my life, uh, than, you know, a lot of people close to me. So, you know, I, and so that, that's also something that I have to, that I've realized I have to be uh, conscientious about that, you know, my grief experience is not my sister's grief experience. You know, they, they have to go through this in their own way. And so, you know, just like, you know, I, I, in my writing, I never want to co-opt anybody else's story. You know, I can't, I, you know, I don't want to co-opt, their grief or, you know, my father's grief. I, I, you know, I have to, you know, I'm speaking for myself and, um, but, um, but yeah, it does, it does, it does come with uh, a lot of challenges. All, all of a sudden it becomes another task, uh, that, um, that you have, that you, because if, if you're going to talk about something and you're going to talk about it in public, then you need to do it in a way that's conscientious. Right. Um, so you, just another thing that's weird about the social media uh, experience, especially Twitter is the worst about this, but, you know, there's, um, like, all these things are mashed together in a way that is either, like, chronological or an algorithm has decided that this is what you want to see. And right. so if someone posts something very serious, like their parent dies... 
the next post might be like a joke about farts. Yeah. And yeah. that's like, you know, this kind of thing hasn't really existed before. I think, I guess it's, I mean, it's a little bit like if there's like some super serious news story um, yeah. on TV news and then they cut to a commercial about, you know, laundry detergent or something, yeah. then that's kind of like the whiplash effect. But yeah. um yeah, it leaves, you know, it leaves the viewer or the reader or whatever in kind of a state of confusion. And yeah, uh, yeah. yeah so if, I think that is one, and, and then it's kind of like, you know, the post, you know, you do the post and then it, it could just get lost. And the, the algorithms, you know, want, show you posts that other people have liked more. Yeah. And, um, and I think Facebook does this especially, and you'll see if someone announces that they got engaged or something, you'll see that post on the top of your feed for a couple of days in a row because all these people yeah. are saying congratulations and the, the, the algorithm has figured out that congratulations means something important has happened and more yes. people want to see it. So there's, there's all that stuff, but then it's also just like, um, you know, how do you like, yeah. So like, I mean, this is similar on a different, but in a different wavelength, um, my wife and I had to put our dog to sleep a couple months ago. Um, and a much beloved animal named Lima and viewers, uh, probably heard her barking in episodes past. And she was, you know, she was on the older side, but we, we had been hoping we would get some more time with her. But then, so like, you know, I did, I did like a post on, on Facebook and on Twitter. And, and so that is, you know, so that this was my like, you know, first social media morning experience, uh, really um and i don't yeah it was you know i like there were people so people yeah some people just liked it or did the heart emoji or whatever on facebook you know some people said oh so sorry she was such a nice girl and that kind of thing and then there's like and then some people like sent me messages being like sorry about that um but also i felt a little bit like okay so on on twitter i did like one post just saying like we had to put uh lima to sleep and then, like, the next day I just added, like, a little thing telling, like, little stories about her and more photos of her. And then I almost, and then, like, part of my brain couldn't escape the fact that I was, like, threading content in order to make it appear more often in people's feeds so that maybe if someone didn't see the initial post, then they would see the follow-up and then they yeah. could be, like, alerted to it. Um, yeah. But also these are like Twitter people, mostly not in real life people. So they ha it's not like they met the dog exactly. Um, uh, although I post photos of her, you know, sometimes. So yeah, it's just like, I, 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 you know, I don't know what to, what to make of it exactly, but there is this weird kind of, yeah, like, you know, curating your life, announcing what it's going to be like, uh, like on Twitter, I didn't have to announce that my, we put our dog to sleep. Like that could have just kept on going and I like I didn't announce it I'm announcing it here on this show um for the blogging heads and meaning life tv audience um so yeah it's more of a you know 20 years ago like that wouldn't have happened like people care more about their pets it seems like than they did 20 years ago but also there wouldn't be like a there's no obituary for a pet and you know only the people who really knew you would ever know that your your pet died um sure. yeah so it just it just like is a new world and we're figuring out how to <laughs> navigate through it, uh, which is what I liked about your essay because you're, you're thinking about, about this. Um, so let's, let's travel back in time instead of forward in time and to the Victorian era, <laughs> because you wrote, you wrote a couple of paragraphs about Victorian morning rituals. And you are also the author of a forthcoming book. The title of which is 
too much how Victorian constraints still bind women today, um, which we will include that you can pre-order on Amazon. Um, oh, thank you. So can you... Yeah, so, my book. <laughs> yeah, it looks interesting. It's a great cover also, by the way. Um, so, yeah, so it, it, it's an interesting comparison, and I, a lot of it I didn't know. Can you talk a little bit about about Victorian morning rituals and what, and, uh, and also you can talk about your book <laughs> a little bit. Oh, sure. Um, well, so, uh, caveat, I'm, I'm not an expert on Victorian morning. Um, uh, so, uh, but there are people who are, so if you, you know, if you Google that or go to Google scholar, you'll, you know, you'll find far more, uh, in depth and, uh, insightful uh, uh, writing on that. Um, but, uh, but it, but it was highly ritualized and a lot of that um, was, and so when I was writing about it, yeah, I mean, it, it as most burdens did and, you know, and still do, uh, it, it fell often to the woman um, so if a woman lost her husband, um, and so often, uh, women were married to men who were much older than they were. So, you know, that wasn't, uh, that wasn't strange. Um, or if they lost a child and, you know, a lot of children died, uh, very, very young, um, she, she would had before her, a long, long morning period that was um, highly regimented, mo- mostly through through dress. You know, you'd be wearing a sort of crepe, you'd wear a crepe veil, you'd be dressed in black. There, you know, um, you you know, uh, for a certain amount of time. I think, if I'm remembering correctly, I think for a certain amount of time you the only jewelry that maybe you could wear would be pearls because pearls symbolize tears or they, or they, they could be taken that way. Um, you know, also the Victorians, you know, they had a lot of really, uh, funky sort of, uh, death rituals, you know, maybe you'd have a locket made, uh, that had, uh, that you had a, a piece of, uh, your deceased loved one's hair and, uh, you know, you, you'd wear that and then you'd probably, maybe you'd probably wear that for the rest of your life. Um, and so, you know, it was, so this was, um, you know, in a lot of ways, a, a domestic burden. So this is something that you, that you had to take on. And then, and then there were very, very specific sartorial rules, you know, like after, so after six months, what you wore, uh, there were still, there were still re- rules, uh, in turn, you know, in terms of what was proper etiquette, um, for what you could wear. Um, but they might not be as rigorous as immediately after the loss. Now I'm also, to be clear, I'm also talking about, uh, people who were rel- who were relatively well moneyed, who could right, afford right. this. Um, it, uh, these things, this would have been a very, very different thing if you were living in the London slums, uh, obviously. And, uh, you know, their death was all around you all the time. Um, and, 
Um, but, and then if you were a servant in the house, I think, you know, often you'd, you'd probably wear a black armband for a time. Um, but, and, and actually it's, it's a sort of, uh, kind of ghoulishly ironic thing, but a lot of the materials that this morning material was, uh, that a lot of the uh, chemicals used to make the, these, uh, morning, uh, garments, uh, were like really poisonous. So, yeah. so you could end, I think I mentioned this in the essay. Mm-hmm. So you could even end up, you could end, they could end up killing you. Um, so, uh, Victorians, uh, it, great time, great time, <laughs> great time for everybody. Well, uh, let, let me, let me, so, um, so I mean, one of the few things I know about this is that like, um, you know, like Victorians had a like very different relationship to death than we do. And, sure. um, the Victorian cemetery was kind of like the proto public park. Um, mm. and they were designed to be like kind of in the same way that Frederick Law Olmsted designed Central Park to be like these wilderness areas as like the city continued, continued to like encroach on the natural, natural areas. There's one in, uh, Rochester, New York, where I live that is supposedly the first one called Mount Hope Cemetery, um, where, you know, people to this day like jog through it and walk their dog through it. But, um, yeah, I think, uh, you know, the Victorian era people would like go on a picnic and, um, you know, at the, at the cemetery. And I think in some cultures this is like still done, but, um, so yeah, I think, so I, it's, it's because, uh, death was all around them a lot more. Like you said, the children were dying in infancy a lot more often. And, uh, yeah, so they were kind of forced to reckon with death more than we are. Whereas often today, death is treated in a very antiseptic way right. um you know and it's cordoned off in a way that it just really couldn't be in in the victorian uh period and and you know and and so yeah you know that that's not it's you know it, it was a terrible thing that people were dying from diseases that you know we could then find uh that we then found vaccines for hashtag vaccine vaccinate your kids but <laughs> <laughs> um yeah, you know, uh, they also, you know, they're also Queen Victoria, after she lost uh, her husband, I mean, she just took mourning to the next level. Right. I mean, she, and, and I mean, you know, she loved, um, she loved Albert. Um, and, and that's, you know, that's a wonderful, it's a wonderful thing. But yeah, I mean, she... Um, you know, she was reading Tennyson's In Memoriam. Um, and she, you know, when she was, she really, she was the queen in mourning that, that really became, uh, a trademark after she, after she lost him. So, uh, so the Victorians also had, you know, they had their monarch who had really, uh, in a lot of ways, sort of redefined the monarchy um, and uh, really emphasized her uh, her role as a domestic, as as a wife, uh, as a mother. Even though she really hated being pregnant and uh, and breastfeeding and all of that, um, so you know, so they were looking to this monarch who obviously took her mourning very very seriously. Um, and I guess, you know, the thing that's sort of weird, uh, you know, and a lot of that, yeah, is, is, it's, it's very, uh, as 
most things were with the Victorians. Very intense, very, uh, very regimented, very patriarchal. Uh, but yeah, every once in a while it did, uh, you know, I would think, God, you know, it would be great if on a day when I like actually have to go somewhere, even though I feel really, really crappy, you know, if I had a like several foot long black train behind me, <laughs> no, that I had lost my husband or my kid and I felt really crappy. And so please leave me alone <laughs> or, uh, or just tip your hat to me and step to the side. Um, um you know, it's sort of like, you know, like like in like the sins, like you have like the little diamond that spins above your head. And, uh, you know, uh, like, did you ever play the sins? I just a little bit. I kind of I missed it a little bit, but it, it indicates the emotion that the little yeah, how, character how is feeling. Doing, yeah. Basically. But I mean, it's also it's, it was uh, it, it was more for you to realize, like, if your sins diamond was red, it was meant that like they might like really need to pee or like they, you know, they were just really unhappy. Maybe they were hungry anyway. Uh, but yeah, it's like having this sort of a uh, little signifier that lets people know, but you know, the, the, but you know, when you're just like walking around in the world, uh, I think one of, one of the really hard things about, uh, about grief um, that, uh, that I encountered really you know, that I realized very quickly is that just the world doesn't stop. I mean, obviously it doesn't. It's the most obvious thing. Uh, your world feels like it is halted. Uh, but, you know, I, I would have these, you know, my mom died um, and I had a book deadline. <laughs> and, um, and my publisher was great and they gave me a little bit of an extension. But, you know, these it still had to happen and I wasn't going to feel, it wasn't going to make me feel better to keep putting it off. So all of it, you know, so the next thing I know, the same year I lose my mom, I write a book and, and, you know, and that's, or, or write the first draft and, you know, and, and even, even now, you know, I'm where I'm working on, you know, I'm revising it and, and it's these, these things are, are difficult that, you know, as, um, you know, it, it can be really, you know, we all know it can be just really hard to live in the world anyway, when you lose somebody or, you know, something really just catastrophic happens in your life. Unfortunately, it doesn't mean that it, it doesn't mean that it's changed anything else about ever, about the rest of the world. And, and you have to figure out a way to, to navigate that. And, mm-hmm. uh, hopefully the people around you will, will, uh, you know, help, you know, respond with empathy. Uh, but you know, every, everybody else is just trying to do the best that they can too. So it, it's just, you know, it's, 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 it's just hard. It's, it's, uh, that's it's really insufficient, but as yeah. said, no no real language for it. It's all just very hard. Yeah, you remind me of one of my favorite poems, which I, uh, as a younger person, memorized and don't remember all of it. But it's um at the Mosée de Beaux Arts by Auden, and it's all about um you know about suffering uh 
they were never wrong, the old masters or whatever. But yeah, it's about, you know, how life goes on when Icarus, Icarus falls into the water, but life goes yeah. on. The dog is scratching himself or the horse is rubbing against the tree and the ship sailed calmly on or, or whatever. Um, and then, and the, and the painting that it's based on where you have all of these things happening and then it's just off to the side that you see just, like, isn't it, is it just his hand? Like, yeah, you see him, like, falling into the water in the, yeah, just a yeah, small part of this. His whole body, yeah. Yeah, oh. um, yeah so, I, yeah, I think that's an eternal truth that, like, you know, life goes on, as, as we say. Uh, just one thing I was reminded of with the Victorians, I had um, uh, Brandy Jensen on this show uh, a couple oh. months ago, and uh, she is a well-known Twitter person and also writes an advice column. And in a previous life, she was a um, English PhD student studying Victorian literature. And I asked her if there was, if she ever like applied her Victorian literature knowledge to giving advice. And she said one thing was that a lot of the, um, a lot of the questions she gets are about like, how do I tell a person what I really feel about them? You know, usually right. that like they like them. And, you know, she said, like, the Victorians had this system of, like, flowers, <laughs> and, like, you would send flowers to someone, and a particular flower would mean a particular thing, and that was maybe a better system than what we have today of, I don't know, liking their <laughs> Facebook post or their Twitter post or, or something like that. Um, so there was things the Victorians, they, some things the Victorians got right, would you say that? Because kind of your, your book is about how, as I understand it, the, um, you know, the strictures that, that Victorians placed on women, like, continue to exist uh, yeah, today. yeah, it's not. I mean, so actually, I didn't know that. Uh, I knew that Brandy uh, was also an erstwhile academic. Uh, I did not know it was for Victorian literature like me. That's uh, oh, often... you, so literature was your you were studying yeah. literature. Yeah, yeah, Victorian literature. Yeah, oh, well, that's interesting. Uh, so, um, yeah, I mean, yeah, the ba- the basic premise um, is, is is this. Well, um. So the title too much, um, you know, it's, it basically just comes from an extremely ubiquitous, uh, comment, you know, saying that somebody's too much or they're a little much. Um, and as somebody who, uh, pretty much has, uh, felt in various ways from the time that she was very little, that she was too much, you know, too emotional, too talkative, too, you know, uh, exuberant. Um, I became very interested in, and admittedly I made up a word. I, I, I became very interested in the way, in the different ways that too muchness, um, the way that it manifests itself, uh, I think that what's interesting about this idea of being too much is it's really perniciously vague. It can mean anything. Um, if you say that somebody's too much, uh, you're, you're, you know, there's there's almost certainly um, an emotional component to it. You're you're probably talking in some way about how they express themselves, uh, but it can also mean that they're, you know, I don't know too sexual, too horny, that they're too, uh, and maybe that they're, if they have, uh, live with a mental illness, that maybe that that is, uh, expresses itself in a way that is just uncomfortable for you. Maybe they cry too much, uh, talk too much. Uh, basically they're not behaving in a way that we, uh, in our culture have sort of tacitly decided is comfortable for the vast majority of us. 
Um, and, um, and so coming, and it was interesting to me coming, uh, as somebody who studied the Victorian period, uh, to think about all of the hysteria diagnoses, uh, in, uh, at that time, you know, where women were being diagnosed with, with hysteria left and right. And one of the funny things is that when you, when you research hysteria and when you look up doctors definitions of hysteria, it is often just a very long list of just, uh, of adjectives, uh, describing various heightened emotional states of, you know, women being, uh, anxious or, uh, you know, really distressed or, uh, and, uh, and so, you know, it, it, it kind of, in a lot of ways, hysteria, you know, this, this is reductive, but it feels a lot to me like sort of like the, uh, the too muchness diagnosis, mm-hmm. that all of the ways that women are, are taught, uh, that they're too much, that they need to be packaging themselves, smaller core setting themselves. Um, they're not, uh, you know, and a lot, you know, and, and it, as we know, for, uh, you know, there were women that, you know, were dealing with be, having been sexually abused. There was trauma in their life, you know, you know, uh, there was a, all of that too. And, and, uh, but it ended up, uh, but there were, uh, it, 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 it led, it led to a lot of stigma about, um, and, and, and I should again emphasize, you know, I, you know, I, I'm, I'm, I'm focusing primarily on women. Obviously, this is not something that is exclusive, uh, to women. Uh, but, um, you know, I just in terms of sort of, keeping the purview, uh, the parameters where I could actually, you know, do, uh, do it justice. Uh, you know, that, that's sort of where I'm, I'm, I'm keeping my eye. Uh, but, um, but, but yeah, you know, and then, you know, women would, um, they would be, they would be hospitalized, sent to asylums. Uh, you know, if you've read the yellow wallpaper mm-hmm. by Perkins Gil- Perkins Gilman, uh, it's the, you know, a short story about this woman who's being forced on, a, on, on a rest cure, which ends up doing more damage than anything else. And she's not permitted to, uh, exert herself intellectually or physically, you know. That's one uh, of the scariest things I've ever read. I read it, um, as I was probably about 17 when I read it and we were traveling. So I was in a hotel room and there was wallpaper. I don't think it was yellow, but there was wallpaper and it scared the shit out of me. I haven't reread it since then. <laughs> oh, it, it is, is so, it is, it's terrifying. And, you know, and, you know, but every little thing was, you know, a symptom of, oh, you know, you're, you're, you know, you're, uh, you're too agitated or you're, you're, so it, so I, and I, and it, it feels to me and I, and I, you know, and I don't think that this is any great surprise. There are, there are a lot of reverberations, um, you know, um, you know, if we think about the way that we talk about or that the way Britney Spears has been talked about since 2007 and the way that she has dealt with mental illness and, um, and, you know, there, 
there there are more there are more examples than I could possibly than I could possibly include in the book. I mean, they're 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 everywhere. Um, but uh, there's you know there's a whole um, we have so many um, sort of expectations for the way that women are supposed to be friends with each other um, that uh, you know we get uh, you know that's its own thing you know that our women who are really close you know oh wait are you know are they queer? are, you know, what, what does it mean? Or, you know, if you have a friend breakup, what, you know, uh, is it okay that you're as upset about that or maybe even more upset than you were about breaking up with a boyfriend? Like, you know, and, and so obviously a lot of this is really tied to, you know, you know, white heteronormative, uh, heteronormativity. And, um, but, um, but I, I think, um, basically what I'm trying to do, you know, at least, uh, with you know, to a decent extent is, you know, to, to gesture to, to this and, uh, maybe help us to think about this and, 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 um, and, and, and then hopefully, uh, you know, suggest that maybe we, we think about, uh, the, the fact that there, there are that there are so many different ways of living in the world and that maybe we could be a little bit more accommodating. I mean, we, because we're just, we're just really not uh, particularly emotionally, you know, I, you know, and it kind of goes back to what we were talking about um, on just on Twitter and, and tone and how, and how we feel as if um, how, how we feel as if, uh, if we, you know, express something on Twitter it needs to be done in a certain way that's not, you know, too much. That's not too, uh, too excited. You know, we, we want, that's not, uh, too over the top. We don't want to, you know, there, there's such an emphasis on being just the right amount of blood. Sure. Just, uh, as somebody who actually, I think has, has helped this, uh, this, uh, sort of trend on Twitter is, uh, Lin-Manuel Miranda, who's huh. just, really adorable and just exudes earnestness. Now, obviously he is extraordinarily famous and well-loved. And so he, but you know, sometimes you need somebody who has that kind of platform uh, to, um, to indicate to everybody, Oh, Hey, you know, maybe, maybe it's, it's okay. Maybe, maybe it's okay to just like say what I feel about things. <laughs> I mean, it's okay to just, to just be forthright. Um, and, and, and not, um, and not feel as if I have to perform this sort of, um, perform chill, uh, to go back to Alana Massey's, uh, wonderful, um, essay against chill from a few years ago, you know, uh, it, it's so I, um, and, and I, I, you know, I would, I, I think ideally will we'll see more of that. We'll see. Uh, and you know, we, and we won't be so completely, uh, agitated if, you know, we're in public and we see somebody crying, you know, they're just they're having a physiological response. And, you know, just, you know, if you, if you feel cool asking them if they need a tissue or a cup of water, that'd be great. Otherwise, you know, 
you keep living your life, you let them live their life. And, and, you know, so, you know, it's just like little, little things, little things like that, um, Uh that I, uh, that I think really are, you know, they're more, uh, granular and episodic, but you know, they're, I think they're all a part of this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We could have an entirely separate conversation. I think just on this topic of how people present themselves on Twitter and their emotions. Um, you know, one, one way to, I think there was a study actually that like showed this, that the more like emotional language you use in a tweet, the more retweets and likes it gets. Huh. Um, and you know, Trump is one example of this. Um, oh, wow. <laughs> and another is like the, um, you know, these, uh, this pair of, uh, brothers who recently got kicked off Twitter called the Krasensteins. Um, right. you know, everything was always a four alarm fire and it was right. always, this is an emergency. You need to retweet this in order to defeat Trump. Whereas like the same information conveyed in like a neutral tone would not get that, you know, would not get a thousand retweets. So that's, so that's, I think people fin- figured out that in certain, that in some areas, there's a cynical strategy of acting like you're always, sure turned up to 11. It's always an emergency. We're all about to die. The only thing you can do is retweet this. So yeah. And so that's interesting, but, um, happy medium. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Something between, something between Trump and, you know, Trump, Krasensteins. I mean, that's, they you know, they're kind of mirror images of each other, um, in a way. And yeah, something, something in the middle. It's interesting. Lin-Manuel is interesting. I, I, I've, you know, I followed him when, when Hamilton came on the scene and then unfollowed him because it, it for me, for my personal preference level, it was too, kind of sappy um and whatever uh and he's uh his uh co his co-author uh johnny's son actually blocked me at one point because i think i sent him a snarky tweet um so i can't <laughs> see johnny anymore but um but okay we're, we're probably about at the end of our time but there's one there's one other thing i wanted to ask you about that you write about in the essay which is um the facebook memorial memorialization oh yeah so can you explain what that is okay so it's 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 still a little confusing to me and 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 to be clear like my sisters and I haven't done it I mean we our mom's uh page is still there um you that but Facebook has a team for this so if somebody dies you can um you can, um, and I'm not sure, I forget exactly how you do this, but I, I guess you, you get in touch, uh, with Facebook. You probably have like a obituary or, or death certificate or something. Yeah. yeah. They'll change the page so that it's like in memory of, or something like that. So it's clear that this person is deceased doing that. Uh, the benefit to doing that is that you won't be asked to tell this person happy birthday. Um, you know, things like that, that are, are like celebrating so many, you know, so many years of friendship on Facebook, you know, and, right. uh, you know, that all of that stuff, which, you know, sucks. Um, um, but, uh, you know, I, that, but you know, for, for me, and so I think, yeah, I think it's a useful tool. I, I really, I mean, I personally, uh, 
that the first, I think at the first time that I feel comfortable getting off Facebook, I probably will do it. And so <laughs> that will, that will just be that. But there are, I mean, because again, because my mom was there, there are so many pictures and things like, I mean, that, that is part of it for me. A lot of her friends are there. Um, I think Facebook has become, um, it's sort of in a odd way, it's kind of become a space for it an older, an older generation yeah. uh, to, to keep up with each other. And, you know, and, and if, and, you know, and if that were enough, that works for them that, you know, that that's lovely. Um, I really wish, wish they weren't stealing all our data. Uh, you know, and, uh, and, and all of that. Um, but, um, yeah, so, so, so there are benefits. Um, I, Honestly, uh, I think when mom died, it just, it just didn't even occur to me, like, like with everything happening, it, letting Facebook know that she had died was like, that just did not, like, it did, it did not register. You know, I, I would assume you could probably do it at any time, um, and then I'm not sure. I'm not sure how how it works. I'm not sure if you need to show a death certificate or anything like that. I imagine that there is some that there is some protocol. I mean, you have to because otherwise people would be pranking each other, yeah. you know, and you know, setting up immemorial, uh, you know, memorial pages for their friends because you know, in eighth grade, that's a that's a thing that is like super super fun and cool to do. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe beyond eighth grade too, uh, if you know you're in college and drunk and yeah, you know, you know fake you know <laughs> fake your frenemy's death or something. I can see that being something. Yeah, kids would want to do. So um, obviously, so you know, so they're going to need to to verify it. But um, yeah, um, and I and I if I if I remember correctly, I think you can still you can still write on their walls. So like if you want to say you know write them write the person messages. I think, I think you can do that. Um, but yeah, you know, it's, it's a, I think in some ways it's a useful mechanism, but, uh, right now Facebook probably has some bigger, you know, other things that they should be, uh, attending to, you know? Yeah. There's lots of interesting things that you could, just stemming off of this, like, yeah, Facebook has, you know, a lot of younger people don't use Facebook and certainly like people in high school, as far as I know, are not using Facebook at all. Like they never even got a profile because it's so lame. It's full of old people. Um, so then as time marches on, you know, more and more people who are currently using Facebook are going to be, uh, no longer alive and, and their, uh, you know, relatives are going to have to deal with this. Um, you know, I, I hope I hope you and I both outlive Facebook, but I, I don't know what the likelihood of that is. But I was thinking, like, I don't know if I would want my Facebook page to be the memorial to all whatever I accomplished in life is, you know, starting in 2005 and, like, pictures of me and my friends at parties and stuff. And then right. tra- trailing off to just be, like, posting uh, links to these videos. That's pretty much all I post on, on Facebook these days. Um yeah, I don't know if I want that to be my memorial. Um, so hopefully, oh, yeah, God, yeah, that, hopefully that, something yeah. else will happen to Facebook and it'll get broken up or fade away or something. Um, and then there's also like, you know, I mean, you must have seen this. There's a lot of funeral homes have 
I, I guess it's, I assume it's part of their standard package now, like they'll create a thing that's essentially like a little web page for each person with a guest book essentially. So it looks like something from 2003 when I've seen this. Um, and then it will like have an obituary and people can leave comments. Um, and yeah. that's, yeah, that's, it, it's, it's a throwback, but it, it is like, you know, kind of just like a, a simple thing and it, you don't, <laughs> they're not going to harvest the data, I assume, for some nefarious purpose or something. So it seems more innocent <laughs> in a way than like the current, like apocalyptic evil social media landscape. Yeah, no, I, I actually, I, um, I wrote my mom's obituary, um, and obviously with, uh, with it, deaf absolute, with really great input from my sisters, uh, and my dad. Um, but yeah, so, uh, that I, yeah, I remember that I, it was, it was, it was kind of like charmingly old school. You know, I, I, I wrote it, I, I sent it to the funeral home guy, you know, called it, you know, talked to him on the phone. It was, it was all very, you know, sort of like analog, <laughs> Um, but yeah, and then, you know, and, and then there were, um, and then there was a guest book. It, yeah, it, it felt like it, it's like a GeoCities. Exactly. <laughs> I had one of those, um, yeah, back, me too. back in the day. Um, yeah. Okay. So, uh, <laughs> we should, we've gone over an hour, so we should probably end it there. But, um, sure. so, so the piece will be linked below the piece, the fraught culture of online morning at longreads.com. And then uh, your book again, which comes out next January is called too much how Victorian constraints still bind women today. Um, so, uh, thank you for talking about, you know, this subject, which is emotionally fraught and, um, uh, yeah. And just, uh, thanks for coming on. Thank you so much for having me. Okay. Well, thank you to our viewers and listeners as well. And we'll see you again next time. Before you go, a quick message from the suits at meaning of life TV. Meaning of Life will always be free for you to watch and listen to, and we don't even go the NPR route of guilting you into donating during Pledge Week. But we do have a small request. If you enjoy Meaning of Life programming, rate and review us on iTunes. The iTunes algorithm weighs positive reviews heavily, so taking a few minutes to rate and review us will help more people find out about our shows. Also, of course, we encourage you to subscribe to our Twitter and Facebook feeds. Thank you.